Welcome to IVF Tales, a podcast hoping to make the world of fertility treatment less lonely. We want to start conversations about different fertility journeys to empower your decisions and build a community that understands. Each week we will speak to someone whose journey to having a child has taken a little bit more than a few vodka cruises. We are your hosts, Tiffany and Amy. Hey guys, welcome to um, the third episode of IVF Tales. Um, Today we're joined by Maddie. Um, She's based out of Canberra. She'll be telling us about her IVF treatment that has resulted in a current pregnancy. Um, Her approach to treatment was fairly um, efficient, Mm -hmm. I would say. Um, She went in armed with knowledge, so she works for a government agency I think um so she's fairly amongst it with the research and um her story is fairly straightforward but really interesting still to see how she approached it Mm -hmm. especially with her relationships and and things like that um so we also wanted to sort of mention considering that we haven't at this stage (laughs) that we actually won't be providing trigger warnings Um, purely just because trigger warnings are triggering in themselves. Um, But at the beginning of each episode, we'll give you a synopsis of what our guests will be talking about, and it will also be in the show notes. Um, So, you know, you can at your discretion decide if you want to continue to listen with the episode or not. Yeah. Because some episodes we will be tackling some hard subjects to listen to. Um, But, you know, I equally want to respect that, that's hard for you to listen to, but also, you know, encourage people to sort of branch out and still listen to other people's stories. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we hope that you enjoy today's episode with Maddie. Uh, my name is Maddie. I'm 26 years old. I live in Canberra, Australia. Uh, I've been married for two years. We have two cats and a poodle. Oh, nice. <laughs> Um, so basically, if you just want to get us started with your fertility story and just talk about, um, you know, did you and your husband ever talk about having kids before you decided to start trying or was it just sort of a natural progression for you guys when you got married? I think it was an expectation that we would just have kids, you know, after we got married. Nick wanted to wait until we'd been married for 12 months, and, you know, enjoy that newlywed phase before you know we even started to try mm-hmm. but I was you're pretty impatient and I think we got married in April and then by the December I was uh, discussing it with him and wanted to start trying then yep so did you always know that you wanted to have children and and sort of expected no. everything okay so I, I did not want children at all it was one day I woke up and I felt like I should have had them yesterday (laughs) that's really interesting do you know what like uh, made you change your mind no I'm gonna say it was a biological thing it's just Mm -hmm. like one day like my body just ticked over and said no we need to do this now Mm -hmm. it should have happened already I was like oh gosh okay here we go (laughs) I guess it's happening then guys (laughs) Yeah, like I did not understand the whole biological clock ticking. I'm like, no, it's you know, it's just like a metaphor. But I literally felt like that. Yep. It felt like I was going to go insane if I didn't have a baby. Yep. 
So did you guys expect everything to be straightforward? Yes. Being, you know, quite quite young, you know, we were both 26 at the time. You know, we, No one in our families had ever had any problems. Um, you know, Nick's brother is now, I think he's 23 with a seven-year-old already. So mm. like, oh, you know, his family's got great fertility. My family, I, I have so many cousins. I think I've got 17 cousins wow. like that are just my immediate cousins. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, you know, shouldn't have any problems whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So we expected it to just work. Yep. So I, you know, jumped on Google Scholar and I was reading all these articles and educating myself on the actual process because, like, well, you know, clearly there's more to it than, you know, the two of you just go to bed together and you wake up with ba- wake up pregnant the next day. Yep. So we did start using ovulation kits Im- immediately. Mm-hmm. In in the December? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I've spent so much money on ovulation kits because I went straight to the digital ones. I didn't do the cheapy test sticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I just wanted the clarity that I was getting it right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so and then we had to manage Nick's shift work. So Nick does um, security work, so he does two days, two nights, has four days off, mm-hmm. which makes it really hard to sink in with my cycle, you know, especially if he's getting home at six o'clock in the morning and I have to leave at seven. Yeah, you gotta get it in nice and quick. Yes. <laughs> we've all we've all been there. <laughs> yeah. We, we know what that's like. Yeah. Um okay, cool. So you've done some ovulation tests and things like that and, and you know, what were the results of those tests? I I had a shorter cycle mm-hmm. but it was exactly the same nearly every month. Okay, like, cool. I have no fertility problems, mm-hmm. uh, no fertility issues, any kinks or anything like that. Everything works as it should. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I was like, oh, you know, it's not my fault. We, you know, it's not my problem. You know, it should be working because usually, you know, you hear more about the females having problems with endometriosis or PCOS or something like that, and that makes it harder to conceive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then I guess I had, like, false hopes thinking, oh, you know, if, if I'm working – why shouldn't like it should just work normally mm-hmm. you know it should be working yeah when do you think you sort of started to realize that maybe something was wrong uh i think it was when i got 11 pregnancy announcements in a week <sighs> wow no yeah hard. so all of our friends on facebook on instagram people we associated with friends in real life mm-hmm. suddenly everybody just started announcing their pregnancies here one week after another and i was like okay, this isn't right. These people have not been trying like we have been. Yeah. Um, I had a girlfriend who had a one-night stand and managed to get pregnant from that. Wow. And it was, you know, not her intention or anything like that, but she was successful. I was like, well, you know, how are the stars lining up for everybody else but they're not lining up for us? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is that when you decided to go to the GP? Yes. And so I did a little bit of research into what tests a fertility specialist would run, mm-hmm. uh, as much information as I could access without being a doctor, to try and see if I could get those tests done before being referred to a specialist. Mm-hmm. So the first doctor I went and saw, he laughed at me mm. and he said, uh, you know, no, you're young, you're in your mid-20s, you don't need a referral. You know, he goes, I'm happy to run... I think it was a thyroid test and a hormone test for me. I'm like, okay, run those tests. They came back normal. He refused to refer me. So So then I went 
and got Nick's sperm tested and he had a pretty average result. So I said, okay, well, maybe we should see if we can get a referral. I had to go and see a doctor that the two of us had no previous history with and we had to both be there at the same time and I demanded a referral and so I wasn't walking out without one. I said, this is the doctor I want to go and see. I want you to make it happen now. Mm-hmm. Good on you. I, it was not a pleasant conversation. I was so uncomfortable. This doctor said he had no idea about fertility. I said, great, let me go and see somebody who does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want this doctor. Let's make it happen. Yeah. And you know, it probably took 20 minutes of me being very forceful for him to actually write the referral up for us. It's mm. crazy. Tiff and I are just sitting here shaking our heads <laughs> because it's kind of like um, you know your body and you know when something's, you know, not, yeah, not going think, I mean, on. And they do say it takes, you know, up to 12 months naturally for younger people with no fertility problems to get pregnant naturally. But it's like I didn't – I felt like there was something wrong. Yeah, yeah. And they are GPs. They're not specialists, so exactly. they should refer you yeah. to yeah. someone. Exactly. Yeah. Why would you think they would do that? Yeah, exactly. So um, once you had the referral, um, you went to see your fertility specialist? Yes. So our fertility specialist is hooked up with an IVF clinic in Canberra. Okay. He's an absolute fantastic doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we went there, he organised a few more tests for us. So I think it was the... AMH test mm-hmm. for me and another sperm analysis for Nick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick's results came back and they were pretty subpar. So I think his first well, his first test was eight million. His second one a couple of months later was forty million, which we thought you know it is better. So the doctor then tried to see if we could do an ovulation induction to see if that would work. Mm-hmm. So that involved me doing injections for a couple of weeks every day. It was just one injection with a little pen where it was, you know, all you had to do was twist the top and, you know, inject yourself, press the top down. So it was really, really easy to do. Mm-hmm. But coming from somebody who never handled having vaccinations well at all, like there was one point where my mum had to hold me down screaming to get a vaccination. Mm-hmm. I wanted the vaccination, made it very clear up until that point that it was my idea. Mm-hmm. And it just went downhill from there. Yeah. So what was he, um, so, what was actually in the pen? Do you remember the medication that you were using? Yeah, it was uh, Bemfola. Okay. So we did that and I did the blood tests and the ultrasounds to watch my follicles to make sure that I had one lead follicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it was about, I think it was... 18 millimetres, I did the trigger shot, Mm -hmm. uh, which was the Odrell, I think it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we had uh, timed intercourse for three days at different times over those three days. Romantic, hey? (laughs) Pardon? Romantic, hey? Oh, it was horrible. (laughs) If anybody ever says that it's fun to make a baby, they're lying and they've never had to try. Yeah, try really hard. Yeah, it was not romantic in the slightest. And I felt so bad for Nick because he just just felt like men meet. He's like, I don't like this anymore. I don't want to do this. (laughs) Poor darling. (laughs) I know. So uh, my, my body reacted and I had, you know, a perfect cycle. So technically the ovulation induction was successful because it did what it was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I just didn't get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Okay. So moving forward from them, I think I had one natural cycle 
and then during that time I went back and saw the doctor I actually took my mum with me because Nick wasn't available and I said look it's not working let's move to IVF Mm -hmm. so I think this was October last year and then we commenced IVF on the 9th of November Mm-hmm. So it was very quick. He was, you know, very eager to move forward with it if that's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, he was. He, we had a very frank conversation. He's like, you know, there's going to be a lot more injections. It's a lot more invasive. It's going to cost you a lot of money. Are you sure you're ready to go down this path? I said, yep. Sign me up. Nick and I have discussed it. We're happy to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think I did. I, yeah, I started my injections on the 9th of November. Okay, so um, he didn't want you didn't want to try IUIs or anything like that. You just wanted to go straight in for IVF. Yeah, I figured since we were on such a tight budget as it was, so an IUI we got quoted three and a half thousand mm-hmm. for each attempt, and they had like a less than ten percent success rate on a couple of studies that I looked at. Yeah. So I didn't want to waste our money on something that might not work. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so basically you started your injections on the 9th of November and how did it, how did your treatment proceed from there? Like a textbook. Mm -hmm. It was like, I had no side effects. I I had a little bit of bloating, Mm -hmm. but it was no more than looking like I just ate a massive bowl of pasta. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wasn't overly tired, didn't get any headaches. I didn't have pain. I didn't have any bruising. Mm Mm-hmm. After the first couple of days, the injections, I didn't even feel them and I would just do them in the same spot every time because I knew that spot didn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept going in for the blood tests every more, like every second morning and then mm-hmm. ultrasounds from mid-November. Uh, it was every second day. So I went in to the clinic before work nearly every morning. Mm-hmm. And how did um, you feel while doing the treatment, like... Did you feel, you know, how, how were your emotional, how was your emotional well-being during this treatment so far? I was relieved. Mm-hmm. It was nice that I didn't have to have the control anymore. It was somebody else would tell me what to do. I didn't have to sit there and time everything myself and do the ovulation kits. And I think it was just, it was so nice not to have to think for once. Mm-hmm. Yeah that I could, you know, rely on the doctors and the IVF nurses to tell me what to do. Yeah. Okay, so you've um, been taking, do you remember what um, the injections were? Was it gonal or something else? No, it was uh, men menopur, mm-hmm. menopur. Oh, yeah. Okay, I can't yep. say it. Menopur, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was, um, I did them in the morning, so it was one of those I think for the first 10 or 12 days before then I brought in the Orgalutran, Mm -hmm. I think is how you say it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We've both done that. Maybe a week. How how did you find those? It wasn't wasn't very long that I was on the injections for. So I went in for egg collection on the 22nd of November. Okay. How did you find the Orgalutran injections? Everybody told me that they were really bad. And they were really painful and they stung like no tomorrow. So I expected it to be horrible. So mm-hmm. the first couple, I said, Nick, you've got to sit with me while I do this. You know, this injection comes in a glass tube. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like it's a, pla- a plastic syringe this time. You know, it's a pretty heavy-duty drug. Yeah. But it was easy. 
Yeah. After the first couple, I was like, oh, this, you know, it stings a little bit. I just put an ice cube on it and then I don't feel it. By the end of the time that I was taking them, I didn't feel a thing. Wow. Wow. That's really good. (laughs) I I know. I expected so much worse. And I think maybe my expectation talked it up so much that when it actually happened, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. And how was Nick through this process? Was like your relationship and it was better. Uh, I think trying to conceive it it really put our relationship on the rocks because there was just so much miscommunication. He couldn't understand my biological need to have a baby yesterday. He was just happy with, you know, if it happened naturally. If it didn't happen at all, he was totally okay with that as well. He just wanted me to be happy. Um, because I, you know, suffered so much during the whole process, seeing other people get what I wanted. Uh, he found it really hard to support me, and especially working shift work. Mm. Yeah, it was really hard. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you, um, for someone who, and you know, began this journey, you know, being afraid of injections, I suppose, you seem to have taken it really in your stride and sort of, you know, used it or looked at it like as a form of, sort of taking back a little bit of control maybe? Um, Would that be, you know, sort of how you overcome the fear of the injections or did you just sort of get on with it and just try not to think about it too hard? I think it was more of a control aspect. Uh, I like to control just about every aspect of my life. My mum calls me a class A control freak. (laughs) Uh, So I think that part made it easier because I did feel like it was, you know, it was my choice it was I was the one doing this you know I didn't have to rely on anybody else to help me mm-hmm. yeah okay cool so um you started the organic trend injections and did those for about a week um and what was the next step in your treatment from there I moved to my egg retrieval on the 22nd mm-hmm. I that was it went like clockwork again perfect i had no side effects when i woke up i was in no pain i had very little bloating like i could have gone back to work on the same day my body reacted like a champ uh, i end up getting eight eggs and all eight were mature i know that there was a lady next to me who went through like i woke up as they were wheeling her out of surgery um, she'd gotten 14 eggs and she didn't wake up the whole time I was in recovery. You know, it took her body a long time to move through that process. So I was like, oh, you know, my body has reacted really well. And it just made me so grateful that it was working like a champ. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you feel sort of, you know, sitting in the waiting room? You know, I know when I was in the waiting room, it was quite hard because I had to be alone. My husband couldn't sit with me. Was Nick able to wait with you and sort of support you through that? Um, he process. and my mum actually went and got breakfast together. <laughs> so they both dropped me off because I didn't know if Nick would need to go to the clinic while I needed to be discharged, mm-hmm. which turned out that's what happened. So, and it's like, it's the first time I'd ever had any medical procedure where I was going to be put under. So I really wanted my mum there. Mm-hmm. So I did sit in the waiting room by myself and then I, you know, moved from the waiting room into like the waiting bay where they prep you for surgery. I was sitting in there on my own and the lady who was in there after me, she had her partner with her and I was like, oh, maybe I should have had somebody come and sit with me. But thankfully I wasn't sitting there for very long before I got moved through. Yep. 
Okay, so they retrieved uh, eight eggs, you said? Yeah. And eight, that all eight were mature enough to fertilise? Yes. Lovely. That's so, good. Yeah, Nick uh, had to go and do his thing at the clinic at the same time as my egg retrieval. So he went off and did that. Um, and they said, they'll give us a call on the Saturday morning and let us know how it went. So they rang me back and said, uh, you know, we do have a bit of a problem. Uh, Nick's count has gone down to 1.5 million, and that's not enough for regular IVF. The doctor has suggested that we move through to ICSI. However, that does come with another fee. It doesn't matter what the fee is. I'll pay it. Mm-hmm. Make it happen. Mm-hmm. The embryologist rang me back that afternoon and let me know that all eight eggs were fertilised. Lovely. How did that make you feel? So I, got, I was in shock. Like, I did not expect it. I've been in the IVF groups, you know, where people got 50% fertilisation rate. Uh, a lady at work was telling me to expect about a 50% rate and mm-hmm. not to get my hopes up for any more than that. So mm-hmm. I was in honest shock that they told me that all eight had made it. Mm. Yeah, the attrition rates can be quite brutal for some people. Um, yeah. So your results are fantastic. You must have been really uh, relieved as well. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And then I felt even better that we had chosen to do ICSI and that the embryologist got to you know do her thing and pick everything. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I just I couldn't believe it. That's fantastic. And so, uh, did you continue to just wait? for the three to five days for the blasties to, de- to develop or, you know, what was the next step there? Well, I went back to work on the Monday mm-hmm. and I got an update from the embryologist saying that all eight had made it to the Monday, but she said my expectation is that we'll end up with four on the Wednesday. Okay. So I was working in a very fast-paced government job at this point in time, so I didn't really have time to think about it while I was at work working incredibly long hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really have too much time to worry about it, mm-hmm. but of course I had the anxiety that everybody else has while they mm-hmm. wait to see if there's going to be any left at the end of the five days. Mm-hmm. I think that's um, a hard process to go through, those, those days where you're waiting to hear, um, you know, it's it's tough. I reckon it was probably the longest five days of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so did you get daily updates or it was just the Monday and then they're like, okay, we'll call you later on in the week once, you know, the five days is over? Yeah, so it was the Monday update and then they said that I would have to go in for a five-day transfer on the Wednesday and that they won't look at the embryos until Wednesday. Okay, yep. So I knew that I had at least one that they expected to be great for transfer but mm-hmm. I didn't know how the others were going. Mm-hmm. So when it came time for the transfer day, my mum came with us again and she took a couple of photos for us during the process and filmed the ultrasound machine. So we actually have the exact moment that the embryo was implanted or it was put in wow, with that's the cute. little catheter thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had my nurse, my doctor, the embryologist even still stood there to watch and it was Nick and I and my mum in the room. Super was romantic again. Because I was sitting there half naked with my legs up in stirrups in yep. front of all these people. Yep. yep. Even though I'd been having all these ultrasounds and tests in front of so many different strangers, mm-hmm. they all saw my lady bits. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. <laughs> it's super, it's super romantic, the whole process, isn't it? You know, like it takes, what, six people in the in room, room yeah. to create the yep. baby. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So how do they say, you know, it takes a village to raise a baby. It took a village to make mine. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so how did you guys feel um, in the lead up, you know, on the day going in for the transfer? Were you excited or, or apprehensive? How did you feel? I think we were excited. Mm-hmm. Well, I know I was. Nick was like, yeah, this is just, you know, a normal day for us. We'll just continue on. We'll go and get McDonald's afterwards. <laughs> Were you doing anything else in the interim to um, thicken you, your endometrial lining? So were you taking any um, estrogen? Oh, yeah. Yep. I was on crinone, the crinone gel from the Saturday. After, uh, so after the Saturday after egg retrieval mm-hmm. is when I started taking it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so no uh, Prognova or anything like that, just straight to the crinone uh, pessaries, were yep. they? Yep. No, it was a gel. Okay. Yep. So I didn't want to go down the pessary path because they I did those during the ovulation induction and I really did not like them. Yeah. I yeah. Again, yeah. We I, I understand really well what that feels like because I had to do it for the first eight weeks <laughs> yep. of my pregnancy and it was horrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you were doing crinone and, you know, did you do anything else? Um, did you do any of the woo stuff, the pineapple or the yeah. nuts and the no. pomegranate no. juice? If I didn't see it on Google Scholar, there wasn't a chance I was going to try it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing but because no, I just we bought, we bought into that. <laughs> <laughs> there was at one point where I did go down the woo path and I bought like this nine week, eight week holistic meditation course i think i paid like four hundred dollars for it online yeah and it didn't even work on my phone (laughs) this is great (laughs) oh gosh it's so funny i think when you um sort of get to the point of um i don't want to say desperation but you're kind of willing to try anything Mm -hmm, to see if it works you know it's always interesting to hear what people what everyone tries you know sorry yeah so, um, yeah, you guys were excited to do the transfer. How, Like you said, Nick was just sort of like a normal day. How are you feeling about it? I think I was more cranky about the fact that I needed to pee. <laughs> they were very adamant that I drink this massive amount of water and I have a terrible bladder as it is. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to drink that much. Otherwise, I'm literally going to pee over everybody. And if we're running late for the transfer, I'm going to pee over everybody. Mm-hmm. It's pretty uncomfortable, isn't it? It's horrible. Yeah, yeah it's awful. Yep. And then they say, if you ask, oh, I need to pee, and they're like, okay, let about 200 milliliters out. And it's like, okay, great. I'll just cut it off. Like, how do I know? Yeah, I have that much control over my bladder yeah. that I've already got problems with. Sure. Yeah, no worries. Exactly. Cool. So you guys uh, got the transfer done, and, and then um, you obviously entered the uh, dreaded two-week wait. How did you guys I, deal with that? So I tested out my trigger shot. So I knew the date of my transfer that I actually had no HCG in my system. Yeah. So I didn't even wait for the three-week wait or the two-week wait. <laughs> I don't actually know anyone who does, to be honest. <laughs> no, gosh, no. So I got my first positive three days after my embryo transfer. Okay, cool. So... Yeah. Three days. That's really early. Were you using a particular brand of pregnancy test? 
the first response. Yeah, mm. of course. Yeah. 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 It took I did have a few cheapy ones around the house and they just they didn't go positive for the first week. Yeah. So I had this massive stash of first responses. I think I ended up with like three Ziploc bags worth of tests. <laughs> yep. I just kept doing it. Yeah. <laughs> have you got still got them? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> Were you doing yep. like the AM PM comparisons? Yeah, or? I was yep. doing like three or four times a day yep. at one point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we've both been there. And it was getting dark every time. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I can keep doing this. I yeah. can keep spending all my money on all these yeah. tests. $50. Yeah. It's like, you know, you take shares out in the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at one point I did send Nick down to the pharmacy with a photo of the box and said, I need you to go and get me some more of these. <laughs> He's like, but you're pregnant. I'm like, no, I need you to go and get me more. But I need to make sure I'm still pregnant <laughs> in the morning and yeah. this afternoon and then the next day again. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Um, so with your two-week wait, you got you, you got your positive three uh, three days in. So how yep. are you feeling about that then? Because, you know, some people get worried about things like chemical pregnancies and ectopics. Were you fairly confident or, or, you know, were you fairly relaxed and thinking, okay, this is good, this is really great? Or did that sort of start a whole new section of anxiety, I suppose, for you? I think I was very calm and relaxed at that point in time. I went and had the beta blood test, I think at seven days past transfer. Mm -hmm. And I went in to see my doctor. He actually wanted to see me to give me the results and he wanted to shake my hand and say, congratulations, you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the fact that he didn't send me for regular blood tests straight away gave me a little bit more confidence that it was okay. Mm -hmm. He sent me for three weekly blood tests and that was it. Okay, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't, you know, do one and then 48 hours do another and then another 48 hours do the third one. It was over three weeks. That's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And so obviously so it you're... A, it was a bit of a, uh, a mind blur because I kept seeing all these women have their tests done really close together. And I was like, well, why isn't mine doing that? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And so your HCG obviously rose quite nicely then. Yeah, it was smack bang on average for whatever they would expect it to be at that point in time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. lovely and that that must have felt really nice a bit of a were you a bit relieved again or like how are you sort of how you know how are you going with all of that it was relief that i didn't just waste all that money on an attempt that only had a 40 percent success rate yeah um so just backtracking a little bit sorry so you had eight embryos to begin or eight Mm. uh, mature eggs that they fertilized to begin with you've obviously transferred one uh what was your end result with that i have three in the freezer lovely and they're all five day blasties are they uh i think one is and two were lagging a little bit yep so they're six day are they they'll probably end up being a six day after they're thawed they'll probably have to be a six day yeah okay cool um, so are you like, how do you feel about sort of having more in the freezer? Like, does that sort of, you know, give you a bit more confidence to maybe go back and try again after you, after you get through this pregnancy? We don't know if we are going to go back again a second time. Mm-hmm. I have confidence that at least one of the embryos will work, mm-hmm. but I, I don't feel confident that the other two will. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I'm not sure, me personally, that I'm ready to go through with the heartbreak of a failed transfer because I've never had one of those before 
I would go into it expecting things to work. Yep. Yeah. And you know, I don't I don't know Nick's thoughts on the process. You know, he was okay with not even having kids at all. So the fact that we've got one mm-hmm. on the way, he, you know, he's he's pretty happy with it. That's fantastic. So um, just to go through, how do you feel that uh, IBF affected your relationship? So like either between you and Nick or any friendships? It sounds like you had quite a strong support system with your mum there. Um, yeah. You know, how did things, how did how did it sort of, you know, impact any relationships or, or did it impact it, um, your relationships at all? I think it saved my marriage mm-hmm. to start with. And then I think it strengthened my relationship with my mum because she'd spent 12 months telling me, well, now is clearly not the right time to have a baby. Your body's telling you that it's not the right time. And it wasn't until I took her to that appointment where I requested the IVF did she realise how serious fertility problems were. I remember at one point she said to the doctor that she never expected one of her children to ever have problems because she didn't. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it was really important for me to educate people on what infertility is, how many different levels there are of, you know, different diagnoses and all the different treatments. Mm-hmm. So how did that make you feel hearing your mum say that to the doctor? It made me sad because, mm-hmm. you know, we reached that point where she didn't want her own child to have to go down that path. Mm-hmm. But I realised that I had to. Yeah. Um, so you said that it saved your marriage. Um, if if you don't mind, you know, obviously you don't need to go into this much detail. But previously, before you started IVF, things were feeling a little bit strained because you couldn't conceive, or um, yeah, know, or maybe you absolutely. Were more... I you know I felt like Nick wasn't doing everything he could to better his health, mm-hmm. um, and it the amount of depression and anxiety that I went through seeing everybody else get their positive tests. I watched people get pregnant with their second child while we were trying to conceive our first. Yeah. You know, I watched teenagers get pregnant and I was just like, why Why is it not me? Mm-hmm. Why is it everybody else but not me? Mm-hmm. Why is it so hard, I think, is mm. a question that we yeah. constantly ask ourselves. Why is it so hard for us? Um, yeah, So did definitely. you – were you fairly open with your treatment – with everybody? Absolutely. Yeah. So you, your mum yeah. obviously knew. What about Nick's family and, and everybody else in your friendships and things like that? Uh, all my friends knew. Mm-hmm. Like half my Facebook friends knew. Everybody in my office knew that I was going through the process. I'd give them daily updates and everybody was all excited for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was just, I don't know, like it was, to me it was, it shouldn't be a subject that you just don't talk about. Mm-hmm. And if it's not going to work... I'm going to need all these people to know that I'm not okay and that I need their support. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic that you're sort of, you know, uh, I don't know, I feel like you're kind of finding your own one-woman battle, you know, by normalising to normalise <laughs> IVF, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it sounds like did you have a supportive workplace? How how did your workplace handle, um, you know, you taking the time off to get your blood tests and your scans and everything else that entails uh, fertility treatment? Uh, I did remind them that uh, they can't discriminate against somebody seeking fertility treatment. I really like they you. Were... I think you're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my girlfriends, she worked for Fair Work 
and she reminded me and showed me all these links of, you know, what your employer can and can't do, what they can and can't say, what they can and can't ask. And I found that so helpful. Fantastic. Because then yeah, I, I knew what I could expect from an employer's point of view. Yeah. I think that's something a lot of people struggle with is balancing it with work and how much to tell and you know, all those yep. things that come Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Some people just don't tell their employers and they just go off to all these medical appointments. Yep. And either use their annual yeah. leave or their, or their leave. sick pay and things yep. like that. Um, so that's yeah. that's fantastic. It sounds like, you know, you were quite upfront and, and I mean, having a friend that works in fair work <laughs> is a definite uh, bonus <laughs> for you. Yep. That's, that's great. Um, yeah, it was so good. It yeah. was such a relief. You know, I can always ask her for her advice these days and she's always able to help. That's fantastic, especially now too with your pregnancy. Um, yep. You know, if you're not feeling well or needing medical treatment, you know, she would be a good, uh, you know, backup to sort of have in your arsenal. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. <laughs> I wish I could be friends with her. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, she's, she's great. I've been friends with her for 20 years now. Fantastic. Well, that's really um, positive that you had a really strong support system. Um, I think that's really lovely. Um, yeah, and then, you know, not only did I have a support system in person, but I also run a debt-free Instagram account. I've got 9,000 followers on it, and I did make it public that we were going down the IVF path. Okay. And since I've made it public to them, I've had people coming to me, how do I get my process started? Wow. How do I get a fertility specialist? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know people that have just gone in for their egg collections who started their process when they found out that I started mine. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so it's kind of like empowering other yeah. people mm-hmm. to become advocates for their own fertility health. That's um, amazing. Yeah. yeah. I can't think of another word to say, but that's, really yeah, that's really good. And I think but to me, it's just like, that's just what you do. It's just normal to help yeah. other people if you can. Yeah. I was, I was very private with my fertility treatment going through it with my husband. We kept it on the down, down low. So I was the complete opposite to you. I barely told anybody. Um, and yeah. that's why I ask and, you know, I think it's amazing. I don't even think I posted anything on it about my social media until, I was 17 weeks pregnant and even then it was the smallest hashtag down the very bottom of, you know, my hashtag list and I kept it it very, very down low. So I think, you know, the fact that you're out there on social media being really open and upfront is that's really positive and we need more people like that in the fertility community because that's going to help normalize it and Mm. change things around fertility treatment. So thank you for doing that. Oh, I'm glad. Like my thought process was, you know, if I can help just one other person who feels just like I do, mm-hmm. that's a win for me. Mm-hmm. That's uh, exactly why we've started this podcast. Yeah. Exactly why. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it sounded, like I said, just to recap, you've sounded like you've got a strong support system. Did you receive any sort of, you know, um, advice or comments that sort of, you know, made you sort of think twice or you know that that weren't sort of helpful i did get a lot of unsolicited advice yeah. uh, especially i got lots of people telling me to go down the woo path and mm-hmm. i was like mm-hmm, yeah no i don't think so mm-hmm. uh, i got a lot of people telling me that it's just a waste of money yeah. um and that i should just divorce my husband and go and find somebody else who doesn't have fertility problems right yeah. i had people judging me on how i was going to pay for it mm-hmm 
um, I didn't have those comments in real life, but I did receive those comments on social media. Mm -hmm. And how did you respond to that? Usually I would screenshot it and put it on my story and say, hey, everybody, this is not what to do. Yeah, this yeah. is a perfect example um, of how not to handle it. Yeah, yeah. This is not. This is. You don't say this to somebody who is trying to have a baby who has been struggling. You know, I then I shared a lot of information about all different types of infertility and infertility treatment mm-hmm. to educate people. Yeah, that's amazing. Because I think a lot of it just comes from being uneducated and being ignorant of what's actually out there. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right, and I think. Fertility treatment isn't a cookie cutter approach either to yeah. everybody. It's it's very different and very personalized. Um, yes. So, if you don't mind me asking, did you go down the private or the public route for your IVF treatment? We did private. Mm-hmm. There is no public option in Canberra. Okay. So we uh, we went through IVF Australia. Yep. Lovely. And I had such a pleasant experience with their team members. I found them all very professional and super friendly. Mm-hmm. And, like, if they knew I wasn't feeling well, they would get, like, the receptionist would come over and they'd give me a hug. That's lovely. And it was like, they, I, I can't even begin to put it in words how grateful I was for how well they treat their client, like their, their patients. That's, that's really nice. Yeah. So lovely. Um, yeah. So just sort of, you know, starting to wrap it up I suppose like if you had a friend you know in the middle of your fertility treatment where you're trying for a baby if you had a friend that you know was pregnant and she was going to tell you or they were going to tell you what would be the best way for you for someone to tell you that they are pregnant not to just announce it on social media and blindside me yeah there was so many times where I got blindsided by seeing everybody's public announcements of people who were pretty close to me, like, well, why couldn't you just send me a text message? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'd had this discussion with one of my long-term friends, you know, how I said, how do you, when I get pregnant, I said, how do you want me to tell you? Because I just want you just to tell me, you know, if you text me, if you call me, if you Skype me, I don't care. Just, just tell me. Yeah. If you are comfortable sharing that piece of information with me, I would feel blessed. Yeah. But I think, yeah. Telling somebody privately is super important when you see other people struggling with their fertility. Yeah. yeah, it's just being mindful of they might react really badly to it. You know, if, if they are at a party and you're announcing at a party, you know that person might be going through a miscarriage at that point in time, and you know it just devastates them and ruins their night, and they need to leave the party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we've both sort of been through that. (laughs) I just think it's horrible and I would never want that experience for anybody. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's why we're asking that question in particular is because it is important that people are um, conscious and compassionate about, you know, if uh, being and being aware that if they do have someone in their life that is going through fertility treatment and they are pregnant, you know, none of us want this person to feel bad about being pregnant. Yeah. No, that's we're yes. all trying to attain that. We just would like some compassion and some time to deal with it yeah. before. Yeah, and some validation. Absolutely. I think too. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So if you're upset, it's it's okay that you're upset. And yeah. You don't safe. have to be happy for them. Exactly. You know, yeah. You're allowed to grieve in your own process. That's exactly yeah. right. Um. So also, just you know, we we touched on it earlier, but just your first trimester of pregnancy. How have you been feeling? How do you think going through fertility treatment? has impacted um, your first trimester of pregnancy? 
I was on progesterone gel until five and a half weeks before I just went off that cold turkey. My progesterone levels were up in the 600s. So they told me, you know, don't worry about any extra support. You won't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. I did keep going for weekly blood tests until I was about eight or nine weeks until I was like, can I just stop coming now? You know, my levels look great. I really don't want to get poked and prodded anymore. You know, I'll come back if I feel like there's something wrong. So we graduated from the IVF clinic really quickly. Yep. And it wasn't even like, by the way, you've you've graduated. It was, oh, just let us know if you want another blood test. Yep. But I have spent the entire first trimester sick. Mm-hmm. I spent New Year's in hospital and I've been on the Zofran wafers nearly every day mm-hmm. since uh, about six, seven weeks. Mm-hmm. Seven weeks, I think it was. So have you um, got the hyperemesis gravata? HG. Can you say HG? No, I can't say it. (laughs) I don't think so. I did join a Facebook group and there is a fantastic Facebook group online with heaps of support, um, so much education in there that I learnt, you know, not everything is black and white, not everybody's morning sickness is actually morning sickness. Yeah. But... To me, I don't think that I had HG because it has slowly gotten better. Mm-hmm. You know, now I can function as a normal human being and, you know, I rely on the wafer probably once a day instead of four times a day like I was originally. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, ladies with HG, that doesn't stop. It continuously keeps going in what they call the death zone. Yeah. Yeah, those women need a medal mm. for their efforts getting through pregnancy. I've had a couple of friends who have suffered from HG and it's not pleasant. Yeah. So, um, It's incredible what they have to go through. Yeah. Um, so while you were feeling sick, how did you feel, you know, about being pregnant after going through your IVF treatment? So, like, did you feel sort of a bit frustrated that you were feeling sick or were you relieved that you were feeling sick to know that, okay, this is a symptom of pregnancy and this is normal? Oh, no, I was miserable, absolutely miserable. And then I started seeing posts in the IVF group and, you know, the due date for August group saying they've just lost their babies and then I started to get anxiety and then I started to panic thinking, oh, my God, what if that's me? You know, Mm -hmm. it's happening to so many women. There was at least one every day Mm -hmm. where they had lost their pregnancy. So I think at that point in time, probably about eight or nine weeks, my anxiety did flare Mm -hmm. and it was massive. Mm Mm-hmm. And sort of what did you do? Did you just sort of not look at the Facebook groups and things like that anymore and just take a break or how did yeah, you Yeah, I actually that? had to leave them. So I've, I'm have i in just one, I think, just one due date group now mm-hmm. that doesn't have many women in it at all. Yeah. Uh, nine weeks, I bought a fetal Doppler mm-hmm. so I can actually sit there and listen to the heartbeat, mm-hmm. but I just use it as a toy, not as, you know, a medical tool. Yeah. So if I actually feel like there's something wrong, I go straight to the hospital. Yeah. Yep. Um, what model of care are you going through, if you don't mind me asking? Have you gone down the private obstetrician route or are you doing a public midwifery uh, group? What are you doing? I'm doing public with a continuity midwife. Okay. Nice. Yeah. And do you feel like going through IVF um, has made you maybe, you know, a bit crunchy with your pregnancy, um, you know, and, and your model of care that you've chosen? Uh, not really. Mm-hmm. I think it's to the point where, you know, I'm pregnant it's definitely happening now. I'm not even following any pregnancy food guidelines or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've made it pretty clear to my midwife what type of care that I would like to receive. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I, I would like to go down the path of having all the drugs during labor. You know, I, I don't care about what I eat because if I can hold it down, that's yep. a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did Tiff, do you have anything you want to add? There was something I thought of and now it's gone. Maddie, did you want to add anything else? Like, is there anything else you'd like to say before I stop recording? Um, I think it's just making sure that you do have a strong support network if you're going to go down the path of fertility treatments and realistically looking at the statistics of all the success rates and asking clinics, what are your success rates for a live birth? Mm -hmm. That's a really, really good point. I'm glad that you brought that up. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, don't be afraid to push the doctor for something more. Like we pushed to skip IUI. I was not wasting my money on IUI when I knew IVF had a much higher success rate. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for joining us today, Maddie. Um, We really appreciate, um, you know, you coming on here and sharing your story. I know it's not easy for some people, but it is really, you know, great to have someone that's so open with you know, their journey. Knowledgeable. Yeah, I'm just glad that I can share. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like listening to the podcast and would like to share your story, we will pop the link in the show notes. Be sure to hit subscribe so when we release new episodes, it lands straight into your listen now. If you could also leave us a review for the show, that would be so appreciated. No words are needed, just stars. If you're on the Apple app, scroll down to the bottom of the podcast page and tap to rate. This makes a massive difference to our show's visibility and helps us to get our show out and about to others experiencing fertility treatment. IVF Tales is an independent production made by Amy and I. Music is by Valet Galushenko. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts.